0: Driving it home With Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez From global conflicts to greenhouse gases The folks refusing to wear masks And politicians getting caught grabbing ass Says she's driving it
1: home with Patty
0: Vasquez
1: Hello. Happy. Oh, my gosh. What day is it? I think it's Wednesday. Lady B, is it Wednesday? I'm going to go with it's Wednesday. Man, I, it's just that time doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? I uh, hope that you're happy, healthy, and safe. We're going to have uh, Senator Dan Kotowski on in just a few moments uh, to talk about the gun legislation in Springfield. I know a lot of folks have been talking about that. Joan was uh, discussing what that bill entails. And Senator Dan Kotowski has been working on this. Uh, in fact, gun violence was what inspired him primarily was one of the uh, the catalysts for him getting involved in politics. And I know that he has been working very hard for decades now uh, to make sure that Illinois has much stronger protections to, and, and works – Towards ending gun violence, and I want to find out what his thoughts are on the legislation that uh, did pass out of the uh, Senate and the House and was signed by Governor Pritzker, and where we go next what uh, What are the next steps when it comes to uh, doing the best we can to strengthen laws in regards to gun ownership and Of course, you know there are a lot of groups I heard someone from the nRA on another uh, on another station talking about how uh, gun ownership is a is a civil right. Uh, and so is so is the freedom to speak. And there are rest- there are restrictions on speaking. There's a restriction on a lot of things. And, you know, there's a lot of things in the Second Amendment that uh, the NRA doesn't want to address. Senator Dan Katowski joins us. Hey, Senator, how are you doing today? I'm
2: doing. I'm doing well, Patty. Patty. how are
1: you? I'm good, and I and I'm I'm grateful for the work that you and so many groups like One Aim and PAC have done. And I know that as the executive director of uh, of Kids Above All, that this is something that is that has a play, it works on a lot of levels for you. Not only your own personal experience with gun violence, but also the trauma that many of the kids and families that you work with have experienced. Tell us a little bit about what this bill uh, entails and where. Well, let's start there. What 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 does this bill restrict and how will it help
2: yeah thanks and you know and, and by the way kids above all we we had a, a billboard campaign about this uh, basically saying it wasn't assault weapons above all it was kids above all and so um that's a priority. i heard you talk about initially how you know um every all these rights there's uh, there are elements to rights that you that are essentially that, that are regulated you can't, you can't walk into a movie theater and yell fire right and there's uh, issues relative to uh, libel speech and all that other thing. And, and, and holding uh, gun manufacturers and they're, uh, accountable for the products they produce is not without precedent in this country. So this bill is strong. It's the strongest in the country uh, as it relates to uh, regulating uh, extremely hazardous uh, assault weapons, uh, pistols, rifles, um, shotguns. Uh, and making sure there's a, an extensive list of weapons, it, uh, and it makes sure that we, we limit the size of ammunition magazines as well. It creates a task force to address, to address um, illegal gun trafficking. It moves up the universal background check on person-to-person gun sales, which also helps foster gun trafficking. Uh, it makes sure that there's a, uh, an updated list of assault weapons that is uh, published uh, periodically by the Illinois State Police. Um, it uh, expands, uh, extends the farm restraining order by another six months. Uh, it is really, really comprehensive and extensive. And uh, most important, it'll help uh, make our state and our children and families safer. So, um, you know, much, much uh, appreciation to the uh, Senate sponsor, uh, Don Harmon, and, um, and all the, the support that was provided by Rob Villevallum. And, uh, and the House sponsor, Representative Bob Morgan, and Speaker Chris Welch, and, and also for the governor to, uh, for his uh, recognized importance of this and, and signing this bill into law. So uh, we're very appreciative of all the leadership.
1: You know, there are were, there were people who are like, well, you know, uh, I, I, this makes me, once this law is signed, then I'm automatically uh, a criminal for having the gun that I already have. But it's, it is, it, it register those weapons is really what it comes down to. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that statement's patently false. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make criminals or anybody who previously owned a weapon and they owned it lawfully. It essentially says you report it, that you owned it, uh, and then you have to report the make, model, and zero number uh, of the weapon that you own. And it's, it's, there is no prohibition against prior ownership of it, and there's no um, excessive penalties for priorly owning the weapon. It doesn't prevent you uh, from being able to secure uh, uh, weapons uh, in the future in order to protect yourself, your family, your property. So any statements like that that are stated out there, of course, they're uh, hyperbolic and they're false. I mean, these folks who, they traffic in the business of, um, of, of falsity uh, and uh, delusion uh, and fear-mongering. Uh, and, and the fact is, there have been uh, people have been just exceedingly um, vulnerable uh, and it's been horrific to see the damage that um, access uh, to these weapons uh, has caused um, in our state, in our country, and, you know, children and families and first responders who just are being victimized day in and day out. And we've made a, we've made a significant step forward here, and uh, it's very it's a very positive development. The fact is, and this has taken place over years, you know, as somebody who's involved in um, one aim, whose antecedent was the only Council uh, against handgun violence, and also as, a, as someone who's engaged in GPAC, uh, and GPAC is an organization, the Gun Violence Prevention Pack, that has, over the past four years, uh, helped to pass legislation which uh, regulates gun dealers in our state, uh, requires uh, that we incentivize fingerprinting. Imagine incentivizing having to get people to be fingerprinted so we know that uh, the wrong people aren't getting access to guns, but incentivized fingerprinting and, uh, and made sure we had universal background checks on person-to-person sales, banned ghost guns. And now, now we're cracking down on military style assault weapons and, and, uh, and restricts the size size ammunition magazines. We've had uh, We've had a series of successes uh, and steps and measures that have put in place to make sure that our kids uh, and our families and our first responders are as safe as they possibly can be.
1: I think, uh, you know, when, when we see a story like last week where a six year old brought a gun to school and shot his teacher. Uh, the The culture of violence and and gun violence in particular we 've become almost desensitized to it, and the pushback the language that people use in response to the kind of work that you and so many people do tirelessly so it, it is uh, it, 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 to continue this battle has got to be exhausting can I ask what what is some of what keeps all of you going in in the face of all of that and and, and really be able to to count a success like we have at least a partial success here in Illinois?
2: Well, it's just one of the things I think you need to have uh, outstanding leadership. We have, uh, um, uh, first of all, the person who helped to found GPAC is Tom Vandenberg, and he um, is a, a wonderful human being and uh, uh, who lost his son to gun violence, and um, and he's helped to make sure that year in, year out, um, this uh, issue is foremost in people's minds, that you never forget that people lost their lives. Because that's the one thing people think about. Oh, you passed legislation. Doesn't that feel great? You know, it feels it feels really good to make progress, but it doesn't bring back the people who are gone, who shouldn't have died in the first place. But, you know, Tom is, uh, is an active, um, effective, uh, and strong leader, uh, an example of what to do in the face of tremendous loss. And Kathleen Chanceses, who is the um, CEO of uh, of who Has been an incredible uh, leader uh, and been on the front lines of getting legislation passed. and And, and she's uh, someone who's um, established great relationships. She's super knowledgeable. Uh, and then, you know, also we have a, a coalition of organizations, the Gun Violence Prevention Coalition, and, um, and and that we've seen the leadership that we've had on that. And um, we've uh, Yolanda Andrazo, who's our our director of that. So there's been a lot of efforts and, and, and tremendous, uh, tremendous focus on this. And, and the key thing to remember here is that, you know, um, you can't ever take your foot off the gas because the people who are involved in making sure that people have uh, is, as many dangerous weapons as possible, uh, they're, they're always concentrated on like lethality and making sure the guns are, are sexier and more lethal. Uh, These people are the, um, you know, their lethality is their nicotine, right? And uh, they, they, day in, day out, they're all about profits. They can say all they want about the the, the Second Amendment or making sure people's rights are protected, but they're all about profits. And they figure out ways in which they can market their weapons to to make as much money as possible. So we have to be as equal to the task because they have a profit motive and they have other people who are like, who they've, you know, encouraged and convinced. That you know the, these weapons are what you need, and, there, and there's people. As I said, we've always said they're you know they're law-abiding gun owners who just to make decisions to purchase a firearm because they want to they want to protect and 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 believe it's important to protect their their family and their property and themselves by securing a, a weapon. I mean that's their decision, that's their choice, right? And so, but the thing to remember is that. As those of us who are out there who are working so hard uh, to make sure that our, our kids and families are 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 protected it's that we have to be as relentless as the gun industry in their lobby that we have to we we, we can't ever stop working uh, because they never stop you know they're like something out of a horror movie right they really are They're like something out of a horror movie where you know that the that, that the the person is Who's committing the acts of violence? you think they're they they're no longer uh, have to deal with them. Next, thing you know they're in the next scene in, in the, the resurrection because they never ever give up. They're they're relentless, and so you have to have the same passion for uh, recognizing it. For example, in this bill that was passed, there's a uh, something that the gun industry does to evade laws. It's called the bullet button. What they do is they they uh, they create this device that allows you to detach a fixed magazine and to make it detachable, to convert it into a fully automatic weapon. And so we put language in this bill to address that. You know, the the uh, you know, the Senate leadership was very responsive, as well as the House to address that. But there was a huge, massive uh, uh, loophole in, in pri- previous bills. But I mean, I shouldn't say a huge, huge loophole that but the industry has exposed Expose whatever there is in in laws to to evade it. So we have to make it as comprehensive as possible because that's what they're do. That's their business, right? And that's the business model. And so we may have to make sure that we stay vigilant. Like you know, for example, uh, you know there are weapons that they used to make available that are uh, or that they make available now that are, that are they're in twenty two caliber. Right. And people don't, may not know this, but they're 22 caliber rim fire ammunition, which is not as powerful as higher calibers, but they're still assault weapons and they still were firing, you know, 15, 30, 50 rounds, right? But like, and they said, well, no, these are rim fire ammunition, like without getting the weeds, like we should exempt these weapons. We didn't exempt those weapons because they're just as dangerous because people get shot and killed and uh, wounded by 22 caliber firearms all the time. So... The gun industry has 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 figured out ways because they're relentless to evade the law, the intent of the law. So this bill closed those loopholes uh, that that or that the industry's been able to to find and, and make sure, right? I mean what's really key about this is because if you don't, you know, it makes it you know, everyone's that much more vulnerable, but then you'll see something. What's really good about this bill also is that if there's a copycat weapon that's produced that's just as dangerous. The state police will be evaluating that and putting a list out there. That said, no, no, this is a copycat weapon. This is the same weapon. It's just as dangerous. It fits all the descriptions. It has a detachable magazine. It fires more than 15 rounds of ammunition for a handgun, or more than 10 rounds for a, a rifle. It has a you know a flash suppressor to uh, uh, keep people from seeing it as a barrel shroud, to protect the shooting shooting hand. So there's all these things that we put uh, in this legislation to make sure it was thorough, it's comprehensive, and it, it keeps, it's one step ahead of the gun industry. Because these, these are folks aren't, uh, they're not honest brokers in the sense that they want to follow the law. They're, they're in the business of, selling as many guns as possible, as many lethal, dangerous guns as possible. And and they increase the lethality and they figure out ways to get around the law. And like we got rid of in this bill, and I I think it was great to see that you can't now have a device to convert a gun to fully automatic because it's against the law, right? But the industry would sell these separate component parts, so it's just you know it's it's essential to see what what happen here, and it's it's great to see that our leadership is aware of it. But you, you just have to be ex- exceedingly vigilant, you know, over the top, and, and, and never never ever take your foot off the gas. And those who are out there listening, if you have children, and you know, and you think about like, oh my god, what am I going to do? You won't, you won't, if your, your children are sick, you don't you don't you look for everything, anything that can be done to keep your kids safe, right? Everything, any kind of fitment of our health care. But by that same token, we need to, like, when it comes to gun violence, we can't ever stop thinking of ways to stay one step ahead of the gun industry and their lobby. Because if, if we don't, they'll stay one step ahead of us. Uh, and as a result, more people will die
1: incredibly true. And we we're talking to Senator Dan Kotowski, the CEO and executive director of kids above all. And uh, I, I know that there's a, a lot of people who are already saying, well, good luck with that, with the, uh, the courts and things like that. And then today we see that there's a, a law in New York that's been upheld. Uh, and hopefully, you know, and the, you know, although justices Alito and Thomas are saying, Hey, you know, all the, the gun people make sure that you're sending strong arm arguments so that we, you know, that they're ironclad when it comes to the second amendment. Uh, you know, that's that's always the uh, the chant of the uh, the gun supporters is like, well, good luck with that in court. Well, the other the the, the other choice is to do absolutely nothing because nothing will get done. You have to work on this constantly. Right.
2: Agreed. Agreed. It's like, and I, you know, I been in that position where you pass the law and, and um, you're trying your best to be to make sure that. Uh, that to protect the health, safety and welfare. Of, uh, of, the, of the good people of, our, of the state of Illinois. And, and sometimes bills are determined to have, um, you know, uh, legal challenges or, or or need to be improved upon. So here's the, here's the reality, though. There's a, a existence of, um, in the United States of America, we regulate possession, you know, get ready for this, with machine guns. And people say, what do you, what do you mean machine guns? Well, you know, you can get access to a machine gun with an with a significant number of regulations, but first of all, the the um, the manufacture in this the uh, of uh, machine guns for civilians uh, was um, put into law. So we could no longer do it post 1986. But those guns can be still be sold, right? And, uh, but in order to possess an, a, a machine gun that's currently in, in, the, in existence, you need to be uh, have to be photo ID, you need to be fingerprinted, you need to have to pay a $200 fee. This is all the equivalent of getting a license, right? Um, there is a record of the make model and the serial number of this weapon. And um, so it's like a six to eight month process, right? And so all these people out there are saying, oh, my God, you're infringing upon my Second Amendment rights and... We have the most extreme regulations out there when it comes to accessing uh, machine guns, weapons that you know were uh, used uh, and can be used in uh, in war. And yet the only difference with these semi-automatic versions of these military-style assault weapons is that they are semi-automatic, uh, and the other ones were fully automatic. So semi auto meaning the gun can be fired with you just keep depressing the trigger. And the bullet will come out. And the fully auto, you press the trigger once, and all the bullets come out. Right? Uh, doesn't mean you can't still fire a hundred bullets uh, like you could in a magazine of fully automatic weapon. It just means that they won't come out um, as quickly. But a hundred people could still die. Right? It's just a matter of second differential. But the reality is, people will talk about it, and they and they think that we don't know that the there's, there is there um, is. With the existence of this in our country, but we do know, and those who have a passion for this, know. And so we're just simply asking people like, okay, we have the same sort of regulation, uh, intense regulation. So if you currently possess this weapon, it needs to need to report, to make model serial number, uh, you need to confirm that the weapon is yours. Right. And, and now we're, we're taking a step to make sure that, uh, we're going to protect people on the future. Cause the fact remains for any state where we passed these measures to reduce the size of ammunition magazines and crackdown assault weapons, there has been a reduction uh, in mass shootings and there has been, uh, there has been the number of people who lives have been saved has uh, increased. And that's, what's most important, you know, overall, when you look at policy and evaluate policy, but a lot of times the, the folks on the other side, they just don't tell the truth and uh, they do whatever they can. And I think the, uh, you know, the ends justifies the means. And, you know what we're just trying to do is, is make sure that we win uh, these sort of battles with truth, uh, with the accurate uh, description of what the what the law is and what people are uh, afforded uh, in in our country and our state. I mean, it, it, you know, it takes a lot. Um, it takes a lot, and it's 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 something that's been going over time over a long time. I've been working at this uh, with you know people like Tom Vandenberg uh, since the nineties. Uh, since the early 90s, and we didn't used to have to make progress, and it's so sad the fact that we've you know we had to, we've had to wait for these massive, uh, horrific shootings to take place to, to see progress. So, you know, but thankfully, we are seeing progress. But again, to remind people, while we're seeing progress, is not going to bring back uh, all the children uh, who've been massacred, uh, all the parents who uh, Who've been horribly murdered, all the first responders who's lost their lives, just because the other side uh, believed that um, what they perceived to be their rights were more important to the safety and security and the freedom of children and families and first responders just because just because they they opposed all sorts of measures. You now they opposed background checks, universal background checks and you just think about that. Why would they oppose if they speak so highly of uh, or speak so um, uh, all the time, so oftenly about? No, no, we gotta keep the guns out of bad people's hands. They keep the guns from the bad guys, so they just make sure we're only good guys. But they didn't support universal background checks. They don't support waiting periods. They don't, they don't support preventing people from who have a history of um, speaking about uh, threatening themselves or other people from getting access to guns. I was there in Springfield introducing bills and. They never spoke eloquently or uh, and not sure, they never spoke in favor of the process, you should say. And so, like, they talk a lot about this stuff and they, they claim to be about enforcing the laws. But these basic, simple laws like ghost guns, they were nowhere to be found. These are guns that are just homemade guns that are used repeatedly in crime by people committing, you know, acts of violence. The, where was the gun lobby in, in their industry? Where were they? Nowhere. Nowhere. Well, we have people, you know, police officers being shot by ghost guns. We have children, teenagers, and because these guns were made at home with no serial numbers, they're not there. Regulating gun dealers, rogue guns, they're not there. You know, uh, instead making sure that we have uh, a better idea of addressing gun trafficking, nowhere to be found because they said that, well, I, I just, you know, it's, you know, we just need to enforce the law. What law? These laws they're talking about don't exist. And so, granted, there are penalty laws. But these, these laws that are important to prevent criminals from getting access to guns in the first place, well, it's a whole other story. So I mean, you know, it's a different sort of madness um, that you witness from them in the sense that it seems like it's sane. It seems like they're they're being uh, um, they're speaking um, they're speaking a, a version of the truth when in reality it just isn't. Like it's just working thirty years on this. It's just amazing. To see, so but it's very it's hard to see the progress. I mean, I, we couldn't say enough about the leadership of, you know, President uh, Harmon and Senator uh, Billy Vallum and Representative Morgan and and uh, Speaker Welch and all the people in the House and Senate who voted for these measures, you know, and uh, and and we appreciate the governor signing this into law. But like I said, when you said like what does it take? I mean, it just takes. It's sad because it takes people who've lost somebody, you know, like uh, my. You know, my my dear friend, Tom Vandiver, who lost somebody who lost his child and other people like him. It, it takes that. And uh, um, it takes that in order to, like, you know, for people just to not give up and, and for other people to be as motivated. Like, you know, how I got involved in this issue is because I was a victim of a holdup. I met my wife because she lost somebody very close to her to gun violence, um, you know, who was shot in the head. Mm. Um, I've met people over the years who were um, who lost their children. Uh, who've been paralyzed by gun violence, you know. Who've been um, who will never ever be the same. I met the parents of the children at Newtown, you know, Mark Barden, Nicole Hockley, and just the, the the just the expression in their faces and their children and what they they had to witness the absolute devastation and the horror. I've met them and um, cried with them and uh, and but you know what. It's just the same. It's just at this point, it's just like, you know, I'm just thankful people are saying enough is enough. We need to move forward. We need to do the right thing. And we need to make sure that um, we're going to pass measures, significant, comprehensive policy measures that are smart, thoughtful, that address these loopholes and and that are preventive and are going to really ultimately move us a step forward to having a um, real gun safety. Uh, in the state of Illinois,
1: I know that the, the the work will continue. Where can people go to find out more information about the the work that one aim does and how they can get involved and support and support that those efforts?
2: Just go to one aim Illinois one aim and um, and uh, you can find out more about you know what this organization is doing, but also I would just say uh, um, keep plugged in also to GPAC, the gun violence prevention pack, you know, one aim is, uh, is a, uh, is, a C3, and the GPAC is a, is a policy focused C three and the G pack is a, is a C four. And so, um, I just, uh, make sure that our people are aware of the fact that you know it takes uh, a village of organizations, uh, to achieve these goals. And just, uh, just once again, for all the, uh, you know, uh, for the parents who are out there and those who are engaged and, you know, my good friend, Delphine cherry, and those, who are a part of uh, you know, Moms Demand Action and uh, who've done a lot of great work out there and uh, who've been uh, strong advocates and have been really pushing. Um, you know, it takes a, a village of advocates and uh, a group of very committed, relentless people to get this done. So again, I got like I said to you, I can't speak highly enough of uh, leadership of, you know, Kathleen uh, Sances at GPAC and uh, the leadership of Tom Vandenberg and everything that he's been able to do. Um, it's just, you can't, and, and, and people like what, and they, what we speak about, like, like, wouldn't it be great if we just pass a law because we've got a business, right? It would be great because we just got a business because we know that we're going to save. But on the other side, we can't ever go out of business because the gun industry will continue to do whatever they can to produce products that are more, and more lethal and and do whatever they can to evade the um, to evade the intent of a law, you know. It'd be great if we are dealing with honest brokers here, but we recognize what the landscape is. You know, we're grown-ups, and uh, and uh, and the folks that we're involved in are doing, and we're just going to continue to talk and um, and commit of persistence.
1: Outstanding so, um,
2: to achieve the goal. So.
1: Thank you again, and and I, I don't think it, I, congratulations doesn't seem like the right word because of the toll that it's taken on, as you mentioned, the loss of life and the injuries and families across the country. But it is definitely a, a, a an affirming motion in the right direction, um, and I look forward to to working more on this with you and uh, and people who join us. Thank you so much, Senator. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Thank you so much, Patty. Have a great night. Take care, sir. Have a great evening, and we'll uh, take a break here. We'll come back. We're going to talk to uh, our friend Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. Find out what's going on in Wisconsin after this on WCPT 820. This is
3: WCPT 820. Listen in Chicago on 820 AM or stream us live on WCPT820.com, the TuneIn Radio app, or tell Alexa or Google to play WCPT. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter.
1: Chris Jones and uh, the, the Night Drivers, a little, a little bluegrass music. Uh, we want to check in with our good friend Dan Schaefer from the Reconbobulation area, a publication that he puts out. You can sign up for his newsletter and uh, follow all the work that he does on Twitter as well. Hey, Dan, how's it going today? Doing
4: well, Patty. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. I'm battling a... You know, it's one of the things where, like, you know, you used to be able to just have a cough and people would believe you that you had a cold, uh, but now it's like, I swear I've tested... I've test, taken the COVID test many times, so I just have a really nasty cold. <laughs>
4: Yeah. Well, it's been the winter for nasty colds in the the Midwest, hasn't
1: it? It really has. I mean, this is because I was so, you know, I didn't go out for a long time. I wasn't around a lot of people. This is like the worst one I've had in years. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. I'm saying I'm NyQuil at night and uh, a lot of honey and warm water during the day. But I mean, are you kind of speaking of our winter today? It was stunningly gorgeous in Chicago. I'm guessing it was similar in Milwaukee, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, not too bad. I'll take a forty-degree day uh, in the middle of January. I, I can deal with that.
1: I'm the kind of person that uh, is always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm like, okay, it's temperate weather, and now we're gonna we're just gonna get slapped. I know by just you know the polar vortex and buckets of snow, but we'll take the it's 40. Inevitable.
4: D- we're always we know we're always gonna get hit in Milwaukee and Chicago with. Uh, with some terrible weather. It's only a matter of when.
1: It's Exactly, exactly. So how is the, uh, the Supreme Court race? Th- that's the priority right now, is the Supreme Court race in Wisconsin. How are things shaping up And, and as far as the campaigning goes and uh, stories coming out about the candidates?
4: Yeah, that's, uh, that's the big story in Wisconsin politics for the next few months, the, uh, the race for Wisconsin Supreme Court, which will determine the majority. This will be the liberals' best chance in a long time and for a long time to, uh, to gain that majority. Uh, so the, the, cam, the campaign, I think when we talked last week, we had mentioned that uh, the camp candidates that all got their names on the ballot, got the requisite signatures, all of that. And so the campaign really is starting to heat up now. So the, they had the first public, uh, public forum uh, with the four candidates who are running uh, on Monday in Madison. So I went over to, uh, to check that one out wrote a piece about it for the Recombobulation Area. You can go read that one right now for free. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting race. I think, uh, you know, we saw uh, the two liberal candidates, Janet Protasewicz, I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, and Everett Mitchell, and the two conservative candidates, Jennifer Doro uh, and Daniel Kelly. Uh, you know, it was, in public forums, you often hear politicians try to evade the questions, not really give an answer. Uh, In a race like this one, where it's for, you know, a a job in the judiciary, uh, they really had the opportunity to lean on the fact that, oh, I'm not going to prejudge any cases. I can't say in advance. I don't really want. So there was a lot of that, a lot of evading questions. Uh, at that public forum they just you know they all said they want to apply the law and the constitution and uh you know take every case as it comes and not apply politics to any decisions and okay fine uh, <laughs> we're, we all we all get it uh but i think you know it was what was particularly interesting uh with this forum was you know the the high profile candidate who joined the race uh later on was jennifer doro uh, who gained, uh, some high profile attention being the judge in the, the case in Waukesha for the, uh, for the parade massacre, uh, that happened, uh, last, uh, last Christmas. And so she had, she was on TV news a lot for that, and she presided over that case. So it was, I was, you know, kind of going into that forum thinking, all right, what's uh, you know, she's she's got the high profile, she's been on TV news every night for the past few months. What's it going to look like when she's a candidate running for a political office instead of uh, you know just overseeing this uh, contentious trial? And you know, I, I, she really did not wow <laughs> the audience. Uh, at all. You know, there was not a whole lot of substance to her answers. You know, it seemed like she really wanted to kind of stay out of the fray, not make any waves. Uh, She had a binder in front of her that she was reading answers verbatim from. Uh, So, you know, it was we didn't really get to learn a whole lot about, uh, you know, where she stands uh, on a lot of the key issues. And and that was not the case for a number of the other candidates. You know, Daniel Kelly, who is the conservative candidate uh, he used to be on the court. He was appointed, but never elected. Uh, he was appointed by Scout Walker. He had a lot to say. Every time he speaks, it's kind of this long, condescending lecture. Uh, and then we got to hear from the liberal candidates as well. And I thought, uh, you know, Janet Protasewicz, who's a Milwaukee County judge, uh, she had the strongest answer on what I think is the most important topic to me, uh, in this race, which is, the court's ruling on our ridiculously unfair maps and the gerrymandering uh, that takes place in the state of Wisconsin. She came came right out and said these maps are rigged. They're not fair. They don't. They're not representative uh, of the people of Wisconsin. So I thought it was really important to see a candidate, you know, be really bold uh, on that particular issue. So I think that is. Uh, certainly, something to watch going forward.
1: And I read, I read what you wrote about this particular forum for folks. I mean, you know, we talk often about how. Uh, you know, justices and court in a courtroom are supposed to be unbiased. It's supposed to be the letter of the law. But obviously, you know, we all in, in Illinois, we just had a, a, a judicial race for the Supreme Court as well, where there were the conservatives and, and the liberals. Um, you know, and, and these candidates are establishing themselves as, as liberals and and, uh, and conservatives. And one of the the uh, judges was saying that uh, th- that when someone tells you what their values are, then they're not really being judicial. (laughs) But in the the, but so for the primary is there's a primary, right? First, you decide which of the liberals and which of the conservatives. Then it's the values are right there. It's all laid out on the ballot. Right.
4: Yeah. And I think that is, you know, I I think a forum like that is an appropriate place to talk about values. And if you're not going to talk about specific cases like I get that, you can't. You know, as a judge, talk about where, how you would rule on any specific case, but just to say things that speak to your values as, as a justice and, and what you might bring to that role, I think is an appropriate setting for that. And, you know, like, like you mentioned, those comments from, from Daniel Kelly, the, the conservative, uh, from what I understand, possibly U linebacked, <laughs> uh, candidate, uh, who, who was, um, like I said, he was, he was appointed by Scott Walker. Uh, in the during when he was governor. But when he was up for election for that 10 year term, uh, he lost pretty handily uh, in early 2020. Um, So, you know, and he is a very Trumpy candidate. I think that the big picture that people might be seeing with him uh, is that, you know, if he he might get through the he might get through the primary, but if he gets in a general election, uh, you know, because that might turn off some of those some of those suburban swing voters that have been uh, going away from trumpier candidates, particularly in Wisconsin in the last election cycle. So something to watch there for sure.
1: Is there any sort of uh, polling on you know the fact that people are are people fired up to go vote for the Supreme Court because this doesn't happen that often. So I'm wondering about turnout what else is going to be on the ballot for folks to be invested in these races? Yeah, there's some other
4: down-ballot stuff happening. Uh, you know, a number of communities have elections for mayor. Madison has their uh, election for mayor uh, in this particular election cycle. But being a spring, you know, spring 2023 uh, is not exactly when people are necessarily most accustomed to voting. So I think, you know, there is some, uh, you know, there is some thought that this will be a lower turnout type of election. Uh, you know, we saw another one similar to this in 2019 uh, when there was uh, an election for Wisconsin Supreme Court. That was not a particularly high turnout election, and the conservative candidate won by just 6,000 votes, only a half a percentage point uh, in Wisconsin. And that's why the why, that's why the court right now has that conservative majority. Um, so, you know, it's gonna be, but I think, you know, people on the left and the right in Wisconsin really do recognize the importance of this race. And, and uh, especially when it comes to things like gerrymandering, you know, like uh, the abortion issue that has still not yet been decided uh, in a lawsuit that it was brought to the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, post-Roe about our 1849 law. Uh, so there's just so many big issues that, that are, you know, in focus right now. And I, and I know the political insiders uh, and the news junkies like myself are, are definitely had this one circled for a long time. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that translates to to higher turnout as well.
1: And I, I know that there was, uh you know, there was a tweet that you that, that someone deleted that you were referring to about uh, low voter turnout or suppression of voting, in particular in populations of color. Uh, and then also, I mean, a lot of things going on when it comes to trying to uh, keep people from expressing their 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 voice. Right. Uh, this in a state that's so heavily gerrymandered, that's that's their goal is to suppress the vote, isn't it?
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there were some comments uh, that, that you mentioned. There was from uh, a, a Republican who sits on the on the Wisconsin, was a member of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Now that is a commission that is appointed. There's a three three uh, liberal appointees and three three conservative appointees. He's one of the conservative ones. He was one of the ones in the false elector plot uh, that you may remember. Uh, in Wisconsin, where they tried to uh, overturn the will of the people. Uh, so, and, you know, the Republicans said, no problem appointing him for another term on that office. And he came ra- ba- basically came ra- right out and said in an email that uh, uh, Urban Milwaukee obtained, uh, saying that he was basically bragging about the lower turnout that we had in, in the city of Milwaukee. The, the turnout was down compared to the last midterm, 2018. So it was down by about 30,000 vote, 35, votes, 35,000 votes. Uh, from midterm to midterm, and you know, there's all sorts of voter suppression tactics that Republicans take at the state level. You know, they they close early voting places. They clo- they got rid of ballot drop boxes in the most recent election. They've implemented voter ID. They you know make it it make every little thing uh, just another hurdle to jump over for people uh, to do and, and to to get to the ballot and make it you know limit legal voting. And it makes it so difficult. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of people to know kind of what the law is and it makes it really confusing. And I think there's a lot of messaging uh, that Republicans used uh, on, you know, major- uh, minority radio stations and things like that, 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 you know, suppressed the vote and made people think that their vote maybe didn't really matter in this election. Um So that was really a, a discouraging type of messaging to see. And now we're seeing Republicans coming right out and bragging about it as if it's an accomplishment to reduce voter turnout in uh, the city's largest, most diverse, or the state's largest, most diverse city. It's, it's so discouraging and so frustrating to see this type of thing happen over and over. And, and in, the, in the wake of the election, everybody's asking, why did why was turnout down in Milwaukee? Why was turnout down? Well, our state representative, Gwen Moore, said it's voter suppression had its day. I think she was right about that. I think voter suppression did have its day, and now we're seeing Republicans openly bragging about that type of strategy. It's it's, it's just repulsive.
1: It really is. I, I, you know, we were talking about this a lot last week on this show, and, and, and look, it's just a general theme of the last five, six, seven years, is that things that were acceptable, what we all kind of agreed was, you know, sort of the rules of engagement, right, was there are certain things that, that seem... So we, it was already settled. We've already decided that people should have access to the polling place. People, we've already decided how we should conduct ourselves in these debates. Uh, you know, the, the language that we would use, the way we would treat each other, and so much of that has been eroded by just the blatant thirst for power. Really, is what it seems like. That's what, that's what, and and being and owning the libs or being better than somebody else or shaming. It's just it's really gotten despicable. Is is all I can say about that, right?
4: It really is. You know, and when you see uh, the, the direct quote that from this email that was obtained was he called it a great and important decrease in Democrat votes in the city, which was due to a, quote, well thought out multifaceted plan.
5: Jeez. This is clearly their strategy
4: to de- decrease votes in the city of Milwaukee, to decrease those votes of, you know, this is a, a city that's, you know, about 40 percent black, about 30 percent Hispanic. Right. It's it's a. Uh, it's, it's really, really frustrating. And I think, uh, you know, I think we're gonna see some kind of... Uh, response on it from from folks in Milwaukee
1: this week. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about we talked about this briefly last week about the flat tax uh, push by Republicans now apparently to lure people to Wisconsin. Uh, this is you don't have a, a lot of in migration. Uh, the, uh, the 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 population is getting grayer is what I'm reading in this interview with uh, WPR. And so the solution is to have a flat tax because that's what people look for in a brochure about places they're going to move, isn't it? Yeah,
4: it's just the most. Like, I get that you know conservatives want to lower taxes on the wealthy. That's their only economic plan. So they have to package it in different ways to try and get people to buy into this, right? And so. I guess they want this flat tax. They seem to be very bought in on it, even though there doesn't seem to be a huge consist
6: constituency
4: for it. And Governor Evers has said that he would probably veto any budget that would include a flat tax for Wisconsin. So why they're trumping up this plan and that is clearly going nowhere doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the way in which they were they are making this argument doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. The, the interview you're referencing was from. Uh, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, who is the most powerful Republican in the state legislature, and he has made this argument repeatedly about where people will have, where retired couples will have their primary residence as this, this is some sort of big deal, it's almost like he wants to call some sort of special session on snowbirds or something like that. It's just bizarre. You know, he's talking about these states like Tennessee or Texas or Florida that don't have state tax, and that's where people are having their primary residence uh, instead of Wisconsin. So we need to lure these retired couples back to Wisconsin to have their primary residence? I don't get the argument at all. You know, it's, <laughs> we have had, a, you know, a flat, population, basically, in Wisconsin for the past decade when Republicans have been in control uh, and have done things like, you know, take away reproductive rights and, you know, refuse to uh, legalize marijuana and refuse to expand Medicaid and do all sorts of things that, you know, don't let... Cities like Milwaukee and Madison make their own decisions about their own growth. Uh, You know, Madison's really the only part of the state that has grown significantly over the past decade. Look who's in control there. Uh, (laughs) So it's just, uh, it's just a baffling, baffling argument, and and one that you know is starting these kind of budget negotiations that kind of happen through the media early in the year in just the strangest of ways. I, I don't understand. Like, of course, you, you know, you could make the argument for for a flat tax, as most conservatives do, reduce taxes, blah blah blah. But to do it with this as the goal is is just very perplexing. I don't I don't understand it.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with you. And and I it doesn't make any sense. Well, I, we can go round and round on that, but uh, it does they don't have a, a majority that could uh, override a governor's veto, can they?
4: They do not. Okay. They do not. <laughs> they were the Democrats were able, to, you know, we have some ridiculous maps. They drew themselves a map that gave themselves a path to uh, to the supermajority that could have overridden the governor's veto, but they, Democrats were able to win a couple key races, uh, in the state legislature to prevent that. So they don't have the supermajority that would overrule it. Evers has said this is a non-starter, uh, for, for any kind of tax cuts. Evers has, has proposed reducing taxes for, for those middle class tax bracket uh but he's not going to reduce taxes on the highest bracket there's four uh four tax brackets in the state of wisconsin he does not want to reduce taxes uh on that highest tax bracket so uh it's it's a strange place to be starting these negotiations
1: yeah i mean so then what's the point if it's already a non-starter what else what other stories are you covering what else is going on in wisconsin that we should know about
4: well, uh let's see. The bu- the budget stuff is is definitely kicking up and you know, we're kind of hearing some some after uh post, you know, inauguration stuff from last week uh that is um, you know, kind of kind of kind of coming up through uh, the conversations uh, that we're having in the state of Wisconsin right now. Uh, you know, there's going to be a big conversation on school funding upcoming. There's going to be a big conversation on local government funding. That's going to be a huge one. Um, you know, the state-shared revenue formula is just absolutely broken in this state. Uh, we have a $6 billion surplus, and, and Mil- cities like Milwaukee are having to make cuts across the board uh, because they're not getting anywhere close to the same number in shared revenue, because, uh, you know, once again, we have this ridiculously gerrymandered state legislature that has consolidated a lot of power and money uh, and is starving local communities of it. But that's going to be uh, a big, big conversation uh, going into this budget cycle. And we're starting to see some positive movement, you know, in in these negotiations. We had some, you know, Robin Navost, the Republican I mentioned, he is, you know, Before, he was a very hard line on this, saying that, you know, this revenue proposal from the city of Milwaukee, this is never going to happen. This is a non-starter. We're never getting anywhere. Well, we have some new leadership in the city of Milwaukee now. You know, a new county executive, David Crowley, elected in 2020. A new mayor, Cavalier Johnson, elected this year. And they really have emphasized, you know, the two of them, younger black millennial leaders, emphasized wanting a reset with state government. We want to start over. Let's start fresh. So they've really done that. Uh, And, you know, there has been... Some real momentum uh, between the city and the state to, to get to some sort of uh, agreement on funding local government going forward. And I think that has been pretty encouraging.
1: Yeah, I I think that uh, we talked yesterday to uh, a woman who ran for office. Uh, she's a dirt road Democrat from uh, from uh, Missouri. We we're just talking about the education piece. Uh, you know, the the willingness of the GOP to sell off uh, the, the future for children by trying to like they've you know they've gone down in many areas to four day school weeks in rather than raising p- teachers pay and and trying to support education in that state. Isn't that crazy?
4: It's frustrating. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, and and I think uh, you know, that was another thing
4: that was brought up by some of the Republican legislators saying that uh, you know, they they wanna have universal school service. That's another thing right. that Ever said he would veto. Like they, did they not realize that they just lost the statewide election to the governor who won by an even bigger margin than he did four years ago? I it, it's just baffling to me to see when are they gonna realize that uh they're going to keep losing these statewide elections, and we're not going to be getting anywhere. They're just going to keep tying themselves to these far-right positions.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's madness. We've been hanging out with Dan Schaefer. He's a columnist from Milwaukee. You can subscribe to the Reconpopulation Area. Uh, go to ReconpopulationArea.subsec.com. Is it the best place for people to sign up for the, the newsletter?
4: Yep, that's absolutely right. You can find us there. You can subscribe for free, get most of your content there. Uh, is available for free, but we encourage people to uh, to become a paid subscriber to help our coverage of news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin.
1: I agree. Support Dan and the work that they all do there at uh, the Reconciliation rec- Area. Which we, uh, all right, if we check in with you next week, my friend. Absolutely, I appreciate it. Thank you for catching us up on all things Wisconsin. Uh, maybe we'll talk about the, the Bucks sometime again.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Excellent. Playoff time? I, I, not not for us. I don't think. I, I can't imagine that we're in the playoffs for the Bulls we we'll see we'll a yeah. couple
4: good games for the Bulls lately
1: they've okay. been looking okay alright we'll, we'll take okay we'll take okay at least we have the uh, yeah. first round draft pick for the Bears
4: <laughs> well I'm, I'm very excited to see how they're going to screw that up uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, so are we what they do with that one
1: so are we thanks so much Dan have a great evening we'll talk to you next week
4: Thank you. You as
1: well. Thanks, thanks. Let's uh, take a break here. When we come back, uh, we'll take your calls. 773-763-9278 is the number to call or text. And uh, don't forget, when you text, our our texting line is sponsored by Camp Kupagani, a child summer of empowerment, challenge, and fun. I want to thank our sponsors, Manaqua Brewing, up there in Wisconsin, actually. Uh, our friends in Wisconsin, you can go to the Patty Vasquez show page, and you'll see tw- the pinned right at the very top, all the locations in the Chicagoland area where you can pick up a progressive brew. Thanks to our friends at Kids Above all go to kids above all.org to find out how you can support children reach their potential and we want to thank warren price from european u.s car service go to EuropeanUS.com and find out uh, all the great work that they do there tell them patty sent you wcpt
3: 820 chicago's progressive talk where facts matter
0: patty vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820.
1: Thanks for uh, hanging out with us on this. It was, really was a beautiful, uh, sunny afternoon today. I walked outside. I, I walked out of the house this morning with a winter coat on. I'm like, I don't know how to dress for this weather. This It was too hot. I started sweating. Uh, and then, But now wearing a jacket, it was too chilly to not wear a coat. And then it was. It was warm enough to wear a coat in the middle of the day. It was like 50 degrees. Absolutely gorgeous. I do have one text, uh, in, in kind of in regards to what uh, Dave from Hoffman Estates wants to touch on as well, uh, from the 815 Hi Patty, I enjoy your show, but I am so upset about all this top secret documents by Trump and now President Biden. I'm a true Democrat, but I'm tired of all this crap. If President Biden messed up, man up to it. All this does is give the Republican Party more crap to go. After him with uh, Instead of making sure My social security And medicare is secured For millions in the future I am tired of Oh I can't use that word uh, Thanks Jim uh, you No know, I look I know I know it's frustrating There is a significant difference uh, Between what happened with uh, First of all Um repeatedly, Trump was, uh, they they knew that Trump had the documents and they said, we want, this is what we want. We know that you have it. They said they didn't have it. They refused to give it back uh, time and time again. As soon as it was discovered that Biden had these documents, uh, they were returned. Uh, and and uh, it's not great. I agree with you. Uh, certainly don't want to give them any fodder. What do you think, Dave? Hey,
6: Patty. I was caught. Kind of like I got told Lady B. They found another batch in Biden. documents. Oh, no. Documents. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, no! Yes. And that's what's pissing me off. This guy is like, you know, why not give this, uh, you know, more fodder now? You know, it's like that, you know, maybe he can kiss the idea of uh, getting a reelected goodbye. Wow.
1: You know, I did not, I'm i just looking at this up now. Up? Gosh darn it. And he. Well, there you go. And he hey, sat it was-
6: him, you know, and this happened when he was vice president. So then things were supposedly locked up and at that, that first batch in the closet. i know where he caught the second batch at, but it's been, what, 10, 12, 14 years? And Ooh.
1: him or his aides or nobody checked this. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm scrolling through this article right now. Ten classified documents, including U.S. intelligence materials. That was previous. These are the previous ones where the Ukraine, Iran, and uh, United Kingdom documents were in the first batch of documents that were in his, I guess, quote unquote, uh, think tank uh, in DC in his Washington office, right?
6: Yeah, they said there was the first batch. was like 12 documents. They just said they found more. I didn't hear how many today, but it was a breaking news earlier. And it's like um, that uh, his aides or him, or who you know, who's taking care of this stuff while eyeballing it? I mean, that's, you know, like I say, 12, 15, 14 years, that's pretty incompetent. There. Or that that, uh, that records department, I mean, if, who's just, just incompetence here. I mean, who you know, who's signing off for this stuff? They ain't checking this.
1: Or, you know, it's I'm, you know, I. I just for those watching on Facebook Live, you just saw me to lean back, and it's here's the difference, right between between liberals and conservatives, right? Lockstep conservatives, where you and I and the eight one five and other people are like, this is disappointing, this is incompetent, right? We're able to say like this, this should not have happened. Whereas when it happened with Trump, they're like, well, you know, those were his to take. That's you know the the the. FBI is overreacting. They've weaponized the FBI, and, and and they're all getting angry at Biden. They want to impeach him for this. Uh, so I, I just I'm still I don't understand. It is terrible, and it should not have happened, and we should own up to it, and it should be dealt with in in the legal way, uh, in the proper way, right? And and that's and you, we don't hear us going, what? Oh, he's a president, and we you know at least like we don't even have that kind of ridiculous magical thinking in our rep- Repertoire to justify it at all. None of us are justifying it, right? Like that's the difference, huh?
6: I don't know. It just—it's to me—it's like you know—it's just making me angry that you have had double-digit years that you could have turned them in, right? And now you know. Then after this, it don't. It's frustrating. I don't. Yeah. I mean, what Trump did is wrong, big time. did the fact, like you say, Apple. We said apples and oranges with the fact that you know that. Then he's trying to say, I think I was thinking about the. (laughs) declassifying but this one they were sitting in the closet you know and that you had to know
1: yeah, and, yeah and, just, uh, and right and and look the republicans think that they're going to benefit from this uh because you know these were classified documents but it is completely different he, Trump uh resistant to, resistant turning over the documents denied that there was anything illegal about it that there was anything wrong about it. it while the white house is obviously not answering questions yet until they learn more and and maybe they are uh you know he's they've got to come up with a statement to address it uh, but that's going to be a very it's going to be very hard to thread that needle and not yeah. also say that it was bad what Trump did. Do you know what I mean? To absolve and, and there is no exactly. there is no way I to absolve mean. it. You yeah, know, if,
6: you know one guy's one guy stole a million dollars. Well, I just only stole, stole five hundred. I'm stealing, and stealing. You know, and, and he had I just look at it and for he had all these years to turn it in. You know, yep. you're turning them in now. Great, but uh,
1: by the way, I just want to, I want to tell Jim. So Jim, who is t- who's texting, just uh, texted to apologize for the curse word. It is okay, Jim. I I I'm a, a BS is absolutely what it is, and all caps is fine with that. <laughs> yeah. I just can't it's say not. it on the air.
6: You remember? You know, they're going on about this this uh, Santa Santos. Or
1: oh yeah.
6: The call to resign, but if you recall, about a year ago, remember I I snail mailed you that one article from back in 2020. When that that guy Jack Bergman Michigan's first, and that clip you know where the guy had he had looked him up you know on all kinds of people finders and they find out his home is in St. Lawrenceville, Louisiana, and he had only had uh, um, inherited a couple of uh, pieces of property the type of things with the buildings that weren't really quite livable the one with- but they used that for addresses that time for him to run. And I even, you know, like I mentioned, I went to Hartman and he said, Whoa, that's I said, I had even mailed one of them to Dana Nessel. They never followed up on that. Hmm. So I considered she or her aides costed Michigan a re- representative for the Democratic Party. Ugh. And thank God she didn't get no gold medal for what she did.
1: Yikes! Yeah. Uh, by the way, just going. She costed
6: a gold, uh, costed a uh, Democratic representative in in the Congress.
1: Well, and it's interesting to watch the Republicans say that uh, that Santos isn't fit to be in in the you know in Congress. You know, they certainly waited until after he helped vote in uh, McCarthy last week. Yeah. 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 But
6: they should just follow up like that guy did. Look on the people, find thing. You'll find that this Jack Bergman living in St. Lawrenceville, Louisiana, his mm. real home, if not in Washington, as a congressman. Anyway, as you can see, I'm cooking tonight. That Well,
1: thing. by the way, just back to the Biden papers real quick, is yeah. that it was his own aides, and the 708 wants me to reiterate this. His own people came forward with a disclosure, right, both times. And not disclosing it would be the illegal part. I mean, having them, uh, returning them is the right thing to do. Uh, You know, and I'm sure maybe we need to talk to Renato Mariotti about intent and things like that. that They intended to keep it. They weren't, you know, holding on to the papers and showing them off to the highest bidder and weren't gloating about having them, weren't keeping them in an unsecured unsecured location. Uh, and, And again, Turn them over willingly and, and yeah. disclose that they had them in the first place. You know, the the yeah, well, the archives didn't yeah. say, "Hey, we noticed something was missing." They did do that with President Trump.
6: Yeah, well, we did. You know, we don't know if they're all were confidential on that, but I mean, right. we don't know. After double digit years, we don't know. You know, we don't right. know what we don't know. But
1: anyway, yes, like said, and the volume of documents talking. is yes. All right, I know yeah. you're cooking. We're, all right, guys. all right. Take it. Be well. oh, hope, hope we help you help you simmer down a little bit. Turn it to turn okay. it to turn it to simmer. No all medium right. heat I'm for you. Turn the no. heat down. All That's right. right. All right. Take All care, right. Dave. Have a good night. Let me uh, take a break here. Your uh, texts and calls, please join our conversation, 773-763-9278. And uh, we want to thank our sponsors of the text line, Camp Kubigani, a child summer of empowerment challenge and fun. Go to multiculturalcamp.com and uh, find out more information. And we're going to talk to the uh, folks from Camp Kubigani in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to that conversation as well as our mayoral forum. Don't forget, on January 26th, Tita Jackson, Janice Pozito, and I will all be a part of that event, and we're excited to talk to the candidates. Uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back to your calls, Jim Roosevelt, and Steve on hold. More after this on the Heartland Signal.
3: This is WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter.
0: Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820.
1: Yeah, I had missed the news story about the second batch of documents Of folks calling in about that. Steve from the Gold Coast, you're on the air. What's on? What are you thinking about the uh, these documents and the comparison between Biden and Trump?
2: Hey, this isn't actually Steve from the Gold Coast. Oh, it's not. Steve from Chicago. Hey, Steve this from Chicago.
1: I'm sorry. I should have not... that's <laughs> okay. It's okay. It's okay. So- <laughs> um, your
2: previous caller was just way off base. It hasn't been double-digit years. Biden left the vice presidency in 2016. It's been less than 10 years. It's been less than seven <laughs>
8: years. That's fair.
1: There you go. And what Thank happens,
2: you. And what happens when, when the president and the vice president leave office is tons and tons and tons of things get packed. It's not like everything goes through... And everything is completely searched. It's looked over carefully. From what I understand, these, these documents were in label, in envelopes labeled vice president per- personal. That's why they went. And it's just that they're now just getting around to that batch because there's so much paperwork to go through. And secondly, like you pointed out, Trump was told, you have these things we need back. He, de- he denied it. Then they came and said, no, you have to give them back. He gave some and then said, that's it. And then when they came back and said, no, we know you have more, he denied it again. And then when they came and took them back, he made up lies about his access
8: to them. But Biden didn't do any of that. Right.
1: It, and was saying that they were his; that he declassified them. Apparently, between exactly. the Oval Office and his and his uh, residency, right? His residence. Well, every,
7: time, every, t- every time you every open every time Trump
2: opened his mouth, he had a different story. Oh, I don't have them. Oh, I have them, but they're not classified. Oh, they were classified, but they're now declassified. Oh, this or that. And again, Biden is doing exactly what they what you're supposed to. You realize you have something you're not supposed to. You go, "Hey, I'm sorry. I realized we accidentally took these things. We're returning them." Let us know what the next step is. We'll take our lumps. You know, we'll take whatever punishment is due us. Right. It's completely apples and oranges. It is not this. It's both sides. B.S., I have to
1: say, that even Democrats
2: are buying into it. It's like, stop it. Stop shooting
8: yourself in the
1: foot. Fair. Fair. Thank you for talking us off the ledge. This reminds me of... uh, But but here's the thing. It it doesn't... Let them do what they're going to do. They're going to go crazy. They're going to, you know, try to impeach and do all these investigations and all this. Look, the story I saw yesterday, have you seen this thing about Republicans losing their minds over gas stoves? And even though not not a single Democrat is saying anything about taking your stove away, it was a study done by an independent agency about, you know, what the, the possible harmful effects of gas stoves and maybe we should phase them out or whatever. No one's coming for your stuff. But again, it caught like wildfire. And I was just like watching this happen. And nobody's it's just yeah. The,
2: the, it's, in, it's incandescent bulbs and low flow toilets all over
5: again.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're losing that their whole, minds. the
2: whole Republican mindset of if anything changes that I had when I was younger, it's horrible and I have to screech about it.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's really bizarre. And look, I like a gas stove, but I've used an electric stove for twenty years, and it's it's perfectly fine. I think, and maybe I cooked better before, but I can't remember. <laughs> All
9: I have to say is my grandmother, who was one of
2: the best cooks in the world,
1: used an electric stove. There, see? There you go. There, now we have... that's our baseline. Steve's grandmother <laughs> was an amazing cook and used this e- electric stove. I like it. I'll take it. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks have for a talking to a lot night. of us down. All right. Take care. Yeah. Don't bye lean in... Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Don't lean into their madness. Uh, hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend?
9: Uh, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate your effort, everybody's effort, and... On this station, uh, this Democratic station, that goes from San Pedro up to you into the night because now that I'm a radio junkie, I listen, I I just flipped the channels. For three years, I just flipped the channel. And this is the only channel that isn't scripted. Republican stations are scripted. The religious religious stations are scripted. But this station isn't. At least you put an effort into trying to get some rational thinking. All I want to say, uh, real quick, it sounds like you got a bit of a head cold. But anyway, McCarthy today on the floor said he is going to investigate the FBI. Now, you've got 140 representatives there under investigation by the FBI for denying the results of the election for uh, for many uh, a, a, you know, an insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, We know that. Uh, Nancy Fagan from Ohio was on the phone with with uh, crazy Trump all day that day. Now I mean, they would defund the police after they killed the poor black guy out in uh, Minnesota. Remember how they were screaming, "We can't defund the police! We right. can't defund the police!" But now they want to defund the police by all means because if the police are after them, they have to be defunded, Patty. You know what I mean? Right. And and it's absolutely a. Uh, it's insanity at its finest. I don't even know how they're going to start this out, but I guess they gave the craziest people on that uh, group of people, you know, the most uh, oxygen. So we're going to have to listen to them more into it. And as far as this is concerned, with I, I say this is a tempest in a teapot as far as the Biden thing, because Biden, wasn't he, 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 once he was informed, I'm sure he didn't know about it, and once he was informed, he said, we'll give it back to him like any... But in their right mind would do, you know, if the FBI or the archives or somebody comes, oh, Jim, you've got papers. Somewhere. Well, get them, you know, find them. You right. know what I mean? Right. But, the, but Trump, for some reason, didn't have a plausible explanation because they asked the lawyer six months before they had to go raid the joint.
1: Yeah, right? you know, and, and the thing is, the National Archives knew that he had the documents. Whatever it is that, that Biden had, I don't know why that wasn't something that was uh, had been uh, cataloged or anyone noticed they were missing. It was self-reported by Biden's people. It was self-reported, right? Well, I mean, it was a
9: tempest the tea teapot. That's exactly what this is. But I don't even care about what Apparently... Trump is getting away with murder anyway. He'll go down history as, I don't know how, you know, the slipperiest character in a long, long time. But, of course, people have gotten away with murder for years and years and years anyway. But he's just one of the many that's getting away with it. But uh, to investigate the FBI or to pretend that, you know, my mother worked for the government, for instance. You got up every day. It was hard work. You know, you go from a GS four to a GS five, a GS six, or so. On. So, their relatives—they they certainly don't go 9 to five and sit around the lunchroom going, "I think I'm going to overthrow the government today." I think—I <laughs> mean, I think I'm going to wax and wane for one party. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And nobody in the FBI—they're worried about their career and their paycheck and their pension and their family—and just like we all are. You know, Penny? and to pretend that we're we're uh, we're trying to. Uh, 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 and waiting for one party or the other is insane. I know that's totally insane. Anyway, Patty, hey, I appreciate
1: Jim, you. Jim, can I go that. back to your? Can I go back to your original comments about uh, conservative radio versus our station? Uh, you yeah, know, when sure. when I first started doing a stand up comedy was when Rush was just starting to take off, and I would try to talk about him on on stage, and he the language that he would use and really became took hold. I, I I just there's something about the way they do it that mesmerizes people. And and I remember talking about, like, like the function of the ear, the mechanics of the ears pretty much works the same for all of us. It's everything that's in between it where something happens, whether it's your experience as a child, your traditions, uh, how you were raised, you know, those sorts of... It, no, but, Piri, but, but real quick, I yeah. think it
9: goes deeper than that.
1: It goes deeper than that because I work with an older black guy, and I would
9: take breaks during the day, and he would have Rush Limbaugh on Mm-hmm. And I, I quit small, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't listen to Rush Limbaugh for two months. as soon as I knew it was another way to propaganda. Yeah, it was, it was propaganda, all the greater propaganda. I knew that right away. I, I listened to Hartman years ago. I knew. Well, I said, at least he's a Democrat, but I didn't. You know, I tuned him in now and then because sure. I, he was a Democrat. I happen to be a Democrat, but this guy, you could tell he was a Republican just immediately. He was a Republican. And, and uh, but do Republicans? Buy all that nonsense. That, that's what gets to me. And I've seen, you know, I've seen old people with the tractor They're staring. I used to turn the TV. I couldn't take it anymore. My brother does it, too. He goes to get his carpet. He just turns the TV off with a Fox News. He says, I can't watch Fox News. Yeah. Well, you know, can watch. We can't watch. We can't watch propaganda. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. Don't,
1: there's, you know there, what I mean, there's something the mechanics yeah, right. for for some people where they like that authoritarian. Uh, some of it's magical thinking. I don't know what it is. A- and I look, have no idea what a- it is. And believe I have no me, idea. believe me, folks, there is way more money for to be made on on some of those. Like f- I mean, for those folks who go to work for Fox and sell their souls, and like well, a look lot at of them. This guy. Wait a yeah. no,
9: I, 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 minute! I'm, I'm an old timer. Right? I got a TV. I, I finally got a channel changer. My, my wife, my wife, I never even had a chance to say. We just kept it on one channel. Was it? But anyway, Remember, that guy that used to meet people eat bugs uh, on that show, The Survivor or something. I not like watching. Yeah. That nut. I guess he makes $200 million a year for his opinion. Yeah. Somebody sitting. Yeah. What, what was his opinion? What yeah. opinion about well, what Well, because uh, uh, okay. uh, what chocolate covered
1: cockroaches or what? I, I don't get it. I know well because I
9: mean, that's what, he, he made people eat bugs for a couple hundred bucks. That's what I
1: saw. Because I, mean, because, I,
9: I don't know anybody can listen to that. nut. I don't
1: get it. Well, because I don't get it. But it's big money. It's big corporations and wealthy people that pump money into those kind, that kind of programming because they want to have lower taxes. They want to uh, you know manipulate people, and that's. That's why we ask. That's why you often hear me and Tom and Joan talking about our sponsors and and the like, the businesses that we talk about. Support them because we need their support too. That's how this gets done. But it is it's the deep pockets that want people to be uh, you know manipulated like that.
9: What we what we've got to come up with is a financing mechanism where we kick in a couple of bucks. The Democrats have to kick in a couple of bucks. To fight, to fight fire with fire. Exactly. Just, uh, yep. If you could if you could dumb down somebody with getting that nut, with two hundred million dollars, that can save person. Uh, anything,
1: anything is possible. Thank you. All right, thanks for taking my call. Of course, take care. All right, thanks so much, thanks, Jim. Yes, I do. I do. have it's, I don't. Know, I wouldn't say it's a head cold because it feels like a whole body cold. It's a. I. I. I've tested reg- several times for COVID and have no. Do not have COVID. Uh, we've been. My whole family has been battling this cold for about a week and a half. Um, I'm trying to stay away from everybody. I come in masked, uh, but I know I sound terrible. Maybe I'll broadcast from home tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, then we'll take a break here. Come back, take your calls uh, when we come. Seven uh, seven. 773 We're going to try to check in with Representative Stephanie Kifowitz. I'll give you her number, Lady B. Maybe she'll be available. I know that it's a big day in Springfield. A lot going on down there. The General Assembly, has been in, they've been sworn in, and it's their inauguration day, so there's a lot of parties happening all over Springfield. I know, they're tearing it up in Springfield, can you imagine? It's probably crazy. More after this on WCP... Actually, those get kind of nuts down there. 773-763-9278 is the number to call or text and join our conversation more in a moment
3: you're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter
0: Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278 driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820
1: our uh, friend from the 815 asks uh, when I'm going to be doing, thank you very much for your kind words by the way, that I am out doing comedy again. Uh, I've been doing comedy pretty st- steadily, uh, but I've started producing my own shows and coming up on January 25th and 26th, I will be uh, hosting a show I'm producing. One is going to be on the 25th at Bourbon and Brass that's in Des right by the Des Theatre on the second floor. It's a really cool room. So it's Wednesday, January 25th. We'll be in displays at the uh, Bourbon and Brass featuring uh, Sony Santos and Dwayne Kennedy, a great show. Dwayne Kennedy is just simply one of the most brilliant comics I've ever had a pleasure of working with. Sony Santos is absolutely astounding, incredibly talented. I'll be hosting that show, and then next night we will be at the Arcada Speakeasy on January twenty sixth. We're going to be starting up our shows as well at Tata's uh, Kitchen and Social on Irving Park Road. Um, I've got a show coming up uh, in. uh, I'll I'll, you know the details. Oh, I'm also going to be hosting at the Laugh Factory on the last Sunday every last Sunday of the month I host uh, Patty Vasquez and friends at the Laugh Factory so that's going to be at 7pm on January 30th this month and every month I've got great shows there and uh, I know I'm I'm also headlining a show for the I want to say like the uh, Southside Chamber of Commerce I'll let you know more shows Ooh, and I believe I'm going to be doing my one woman show I have uh, several solo shows that I've done over the years and I have one called Tequila and Shamrocks that I will be doing Doing in March, uh, I'll let you know more details about that as we get closer and lock down the venue. And then, uh, yeah, got some shows coming up. So, thank you very much for asking, Jim. I appreciate it, and would love to see one of those performances. Roosevelt is on the line. Hey, Roosevelt, what's on your mind, my friend?
8: Hey, thank you for taking my call, my friend.
1: How you doing? I'm well, as you can tell, a little, a little congested. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, re- I'm gonna
8: report. I'm going to follow up on my report from last week. My family, remember I told you they got COVID. We're still uh, not out of the woods yet.
5: Not at all.
1: No.
8: My wife just took a little mini walk. Yesterday she couldn't walk from here to Walgreens, St. Walgreens is two blocks away from us. Uh, but today she's taking a like, little walk. She just left the house a little bit to go around the block to see how she feels. Because her chest is just, you know, it she says it hurts so bad, just. You know, this was yesterday. Today, she's a lot better. My son, one of my oldest, he's coming out of the woods. And my youngest, he went back to school um, Tuesday. So naturally with a mask and everything. Sure.
1: Yeah, Declan's been home so, too. Yeah. I mean, and I keep taking the so tests.
8: Yep. The
1: only ones that I left is my other son,
8: Carlos, and, and myself that don't have COVID. We tested negative uh, yesterday. So hopefully, we'll get out of it. Yep. Yep. Uh, I wanted to start briefly with the so called tit for tat as far as trump and and the papers he took and the boxes he took and that's precisely my point. How can you say it's the same thing when he took boxes
5: intentionally yeah, I know
8: intentionally he took them and then like somebody said before, I think it was uh Jim or somebody yeah that that uh they asked for those those things those those uh papers back and he he refused to give them back. So naturally the FBI, cause he's crying like a little, you know, what, because the, you know, the FBI has not rated, uh, 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 Biden's home or offices or whatever. But here's the point that nobody brings up. Trump does not have a job in the government. Trump is no longer a president. Not that, not that Biden has the right to take everything he wants, but the point is he doesn't have the luxury of saying I'm still the president, which is what he was, you know, what he was always saying that I have a right to do whatever. Remember he said, I can do whatever I want. So he's no longer the president and nobody brings up that point. He's nothing. So how can he have a right to take whatever he, he you know, whatever he wants from, uh, from the white house. That That's, that's the point I wanted to make as well. I
1: appreciate it. I know you want to talk about something else. I'm so sorry. I've got Representative Kifawit on the line. I've got to get to her call. Do you, I'm sorry. All right. All right. I got I to run. Sorry about that, Roosevelt. Take care. All right. All right. Stand by. I've got to... Let me see. Roll this down. Get this one. And Rep Kifawit in Springfield. <laughs> Are you just tearing up the town, Rep? Oh, no, no. I'm just... Um there's a couple a couple places to stop
5: by, but actually, you know, I just spent the time with my family and stuff, and they just left, so uh, it was really great to have them here on Inauguration Day.
1: So what was the day like? I know I've, I've been to the inauguration before. You're all on the stage. Was there was there a moment that kind of you know because you, you again I go back to this historical moment of, of the fact that you were the first person to challenge Speaker Mike Madigan. And when I saw you inaugurated, was it 2018 when you stood and said, "Look, we shouldn't have to be voting in lockstep." I mean, you you kind of threw your you know you, you shot you shot across the bow then, didn't you? And, and that was a remarkable moment. I, I don't think people know about this either. It was it was it was incredible. Incredible, Rep.
5: No, I, I think it was 2017, okay. and uh, it was in the middle of the Bronner administration, right after his first two years of office. And um, I had put in a request to uh, make a statement at the inauguration because I was tired of the budget stalemates and the backroom deals and the shenanigans going on. And the request was approved, and so then, yeah, I stood up. In inauguration, I believe it was by seventeen to you know demand accountability and transparency. Now, yeah. So the funny thing is, is the rules were changed now and no longer allow statements.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Oh, so nobody? Yeah. Did he change that? Was that before uh, Speaker Welch took took office? Took this, the position? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, how yeah. funny! So it was funny. Did you? Was there any besides the fact that they changed that rule? Did you ever get any backlash from him? That I mean, that you you know specifically because of that?
5: Um, No, I can't. I can't say I got backlash because of it. Um, You know, I mean, I just I just thought it was important to speak up for the people. And there's a lot of people getting hurt in the budget impasse. And it was a a really um, a really black, uh, just a black eye in the history of Illinois under uh, Republican Governor Bruce Rauner. So.
1: And, and it was a lot of, of you know, uh, playing chicken with our budget at that time, but that's behind us because now we are heading into, what is this, what what number of the uh, General Assembly is this, 100 and...
5: The 103rd General Assembly was sworn in today.
1: Uh-huh.
5: And... Uh, and... and um, go ahead. No, I, and it's just, it it's just, um, it brings up a lot of emotion because, like, two years ago was, a, was as you said, a trying year. Uh, I went up against... Uh, challenged Mike Madigan. He did not secure the votes for his uh, speakership. So he had a new speaker but it was in the Bank of Springfield. It was during COVID. It was, you know, nobody was around but us. So it it, it, it was kind of um, melancholy, for lack of a better word. And today we're back to, you know, UIS Center and um, you know, it, it almost seems like now it's official. It's, you know, because yeah. We had the officials swearing in and and the speaker had his wife, who's a judge, you know, give him the oath of office. And it was just it was really wonderful.
1: And for folks who don't know, that's University of Illinois Springfield. They've got a great campus there, uh, and and actually some great uh, a journalism school because the kids can the students can go and you know work on what's happening in the capital. Uh, so I'm glad that you guys were back to that venue. Uh, before we we talk about what's coming up with this new General Assembly, uh, tell us a little bit about the last couple days because it seems like there was just a lot going on in Springfield, wasn't there? With between reproductive rights, uh, gender affirming uh, legislation gun legislation, I mean, what, what sticks out the most for you in the last couple of days? Well,
5: I, I'm, I those are all really important bills, but I'm just really proud of a bill that I was able to uh, carry and pass the last day of session, which really uh, helps our veterans, because as you know, I'm a veteran, uh, the chair of Veterans Affairs, and hopefully will continue to be the chair of Veterans Affairs. But we passed um, a legislation to really improve the services that veterans get from their um, the VACs, their Veterans Assistance Centers in the counties, um, and uh, really helps Cook County VAC, which has over 100,000 veterans. And so I'm just really, um, really proud of that. It doesn't make the headlines. It, it didn't make the, the, the clicks and, and that, but I mean, it was really monumental legislation for our veterans that I was just honored and, and thrilled to pass. On the last day of session.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, there's a. Tell folks like, the importance of getting something done because there are things that just need to be finished before you guys can move on to the ne- next session. Is that right?
5: Correct. So we started, it was a two part process. So we started the process it, it, with regard to this bill and, and the county veterans assistance commissions. Um, we started it in the spring, but we had a shortened spring session. So we couldn't get everything done that needed to be done. So we passed like half of the bill in the spring session before April 8th when we adjourned. And then we had to finish it before uh, by now because the first half went into effect January 1. (laughs) So we had to finish the second half so it went into effect immediately right after the first half. Uh, So it was pretty contentious and, you know, meetings, uh, Zoom meetings, and uh, finalizing the details, uh, getting it agreed upon by the counties, by the Veterans Assistance Commission, by the AG's office and its oversight language from the AG uh, to just make sure that our veterans are getting the highest and best care that they deserve. And so that's why this bill was so important to pass. The other bills were important to pass, too. Uh, But this bill was important to pass because the first half of the bill went into effect January 1, and this bill needed to go with it and be passed as soon as possible
1: as well. Well, I'm glad that you were able to get that done. And what are you looking ahead uh, to in the next General Assembly?
5: Well, as always, you know, I hope to retain uh, chairmanship of the Veterans Affairs Committee. I'm not sure how the other committees are going to be doled out. I am the most senior Um, veteran in the Democrat side in the House now. And um, so I take that very seriously. Uh, Other than that, just making sure that we keep a a balanced budget, that we, we pay down our pensions. I'm working with Comptroller Mendoza with a uh, plan to have additional payments going into our pension system. That's the top priority, to keep focusing on pensions and I'm going to keep focusing on property taxes since we have a new speaker that's committed to working on property taxes, Uh, unlike the former speaker. uh, I'm very excited about uh, working, to continue to work, to try to lower property taxes for our residents. So those are the two top uh, priorities that I'm focusing on, uh, aside from veterans, which is, of course, my number one priority always.
1: What What are some of the solutions that you have for the property taxes? Because in, 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 obviously there's a lot of news in Chicago, uh, in the Chicagoland area, Cook County in particular, when it comes to the assessments. What kind of solutions do you see that are possible moving forward to alleviate that for property owners?
5: Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to get in the weeds. As you know, I'm a policy wonk, so I'm not going to put all your listeners to sleep because I will (laughs) if I go into the weeds, but there are, there are several avenues that we can look at Um, anything from, you know, evaluating TIF districts, tax increment finance districts to evaluating um, the separate school districts, like school districts that have a separate um, K through five or separate K through eight, and then a separate high school district, they actually get taxed higher than consolidated districts. And, you know, so there's, there's a, a lot of nuances with regards to property taxes. that I don't think property homeowners actually know all the nuances that go into it. So um, it's just it's such a big enchilada that you know you got to take it one bitty bite at a time. And um, and hopefully as we put into place solutions, the long term will be reduction in property taxes. But the number one property tax bill is the school districts. So we have to look at how can we fund school districts more. But then how can we provide relief directly? And we did a little bit of it with the property tax relief rebates that we did. Everybody should have gotten uh, up to $300. That was a rebate for the property taxes. So uh, working towards more programs
1: like that. And, you know, one of the things I've, I've, you know, we have so many municipalities and overlapping school districts. I mean, school districts where there's like only two schools. Is there anything in, in, in the way of consolidating or is that not necessarily on the table?
5: Well, I think that that has to come from the grassroots. That has to come from the actual voters in the community. And we passed legislation to allow them to do that. And when you do consolidate, you do save money on property taxes. Um, And so that's something that I think needs to be more education on. But, I mean, that is an avenue we have passed. Uh, legislation to allow the voters to consolidate, to go to referendum, and I think that uh, individuals need to be more educated on that, that avenue. But I do think they'd say property taxes in a consolidated school district.
1: I would imagine that one of the big forces that would be an obstacle, at least, would be the Illinois State Board of Education. Is it ISBE, I- I- B- I- S- B- e, or would there be other groups that would, while educating, would help the, the those that don't want that to happen, might also be out there spreading information as well, right? Well, I don't.
5: I think that to be quite honest, Patty, what we heard most when we talk about consolidation believe it or not, is that parents don't want to lose their mascot. They don't want to lose the boundaries of their school. There, there's a lot of um, personalization when we talk about consolidation that I think may or may not be true. I mean, every school can keep their mascot, but there's there's an, you know, a connection with your local school district. And so residents are a little bit hesitant to change it. But, I mean, if they change it, then they consolidate. Then they can save money on their property taxes. So it, it's just an education um, aspect. I think Illinois State Board of Education has no no opinion whatsoever with okay. regards to schools and schools consolidation. It goes to a referendum and whatever the voters want, you know, the voters will, will approve. Then that's how we'll roll. So.
1: Yeah. Like you said, it's one of those things where if people know that it's an option, it's a matter of uh, getting folks engaged and understanding what the process would be in order to help alleviate the property taxes. It's a shame, don't you think? It's a shame that education, that that the way we fund education is tied to property taxes, but that seems to be what everyone does across the country, isn't it?
5: No, it's not across the country. I mean, there's some states that are 100% funded and run by the states. I mean, that's why we had a statewide... Uh, I can't remember the state, but there was a statewide teacher strike in, in a neighboring state. And forgive me, I can't remember the state. But here in Illinois, we value local control and we value that um, residents have the right to elect their local school boards. And what had happened was during the, the crisis after Grigoyevich and the budget crisis under Quinn, uh, you know, the school district went to a referendum here out in the burbs, not necessarily in Chicago but on the burbs, they went to referendums, the referendums passed, they built the school, just, then the poverty taxes went up, and then they, they've kept going up, and, and people just get, you know, sticker shot, because it's so expensive, because during the budget crisis, the, the state wasn't funding the schools the way they should have been. So now we're funding the schools the way they should be. We're putting an additional $350 million to the schools every single year. The schools are trying to catch up from being underfunded for decades. So it, it's it's, it, it's, you know, and so then where did the funding go? They went to referendum, and then the taxpayers voted it in. So now it's, it's more proportionately on the back of the taxpayers than the state. So the state, we have to do more to uh, work with our school districts. Right. But we, we believe in local control, and people should be involved with their school districts, and, and people should be active in the, in the local-level elections and the local-level government as well. Because that's where all the property yeah. taxes are going yeah. on the local level. The state receives zero property taxes.
1: Right, right, and, and so yet on the local level, but you get you get one hundred percent of the blame. Almost we
5: do, and, <laughs> and there are some things we could do. There's some things we can't do, but there's some things we can do to try to alleviate property taxes as well.
1: Absolutely, no, there's no no doubt about mm-hmm. that. But uh, but I, I I appreciate that, and I think that a lot of folks have. Um, uh, you know thoughts about that. And, and look, you always know, see people saying, well, "I'm going to move from from Illinois because they'll say that they're moving to Florida or wherever where there's no property tax or whatever. There's no income tax." And look, every state has their burdens, and you guys have done an extraordinary job considering what we went through with a budget impasse. I think that there are a lot of success stories, aren't there, along the way?
5: There's tons. I mean, under under Governor Prisker, we balanced our budget. We've gotten six credit upgrades. We've got. A uh, billion dollars in our rainy day fund. We've we paid down over uh, additional $500 million pensions, which, which saves taxpayer money. I mean, we're, we're fiscally solid. Like, nobody can say that the state of Illinois is not managing their budget well because we are, and the credit units are looking at that. But now we got to start looking at these other issues, such as property taxes, such as our pension payment, and start working on these as well now that we stabilize the ship. So, you know, it's almost like when you're in the airplane and they say put the oxygen mask on you first and then, the, and then whoever's with you, we had to stabilize the budget. We had to look at us first and our budget, and we stabilized our budget. So now to continue, now we've got to look at these other things like property taxes and our pension, continue to pay down on our pension, and these other issues that now we can focus on because we've stabilized. And that's exciting. That is Everybody should be excited. I know they're not, but I'm excited. It's I'm excited.
1: <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Well so. continue your evening of celebration. Where are you gonna where are you partying it up tonight in Springfield?
5: um i'm just going to the the speaker has a reception in in a little bit so i'm going to go and uh you know give my congratulations to speaker welsh i think it was i mean he cheered up on the stage because this is his family was with him his mom was with him you know and and you know nobody was with him except for his his wife and his children at the bos center two years ago and and he's he's earned a second second round as speaker and you know i'll just be there to congratulate him and um you know, I look forward to uh, a lot of great things that the state of Illinois is going to do in the future.
1: Outstanding. Well, go enjoy your evening. Congratulations. And we look forward to touching base with you soon. Anytime. Thank you so much. And Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. Thanks, Rep. As Representative right, Stephanie take Kifowitz. Care. Take care. Let's uh, take a break here. We come back. I'll try to get that call in with Bob and, uh, and wrap up our show tonight. You're driving at home till seven. I'm your host, Patty Vasquez.
3: The Hal Sparks Radio Program. They
2: don't have to refund if the land gets taken back. So I think they are just sacrificing Russian soldiers
7: for this Pez dispenser of Russian cash over and over and over again. They're reclaiming this land. They get paid for taking the land. They lose it, and then they get paid for taking it again. And they're not even doing the fighting themselves. It's grotesque.
3: Hal Sparks, Saturdays from 11 to 1 on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk chicago's progressive talk wcpt 820 where facts matter
0: listening to driving at home with patty masquez on wcpt 820
1: want to get one more call in here before we run uh we got bob in chicago hey bob what's on your mind my friend
7: Hey, Patty. how's it going? Uh, just driving to uh, my second job, uh, but yeah, I, I, the gentleman that was talking before about how the radio was—that kind of intrigued me. Like, what was what was uh, important? You know, I former Republican, and I would listen to you know the Ben Shapiro, the Candace Owen, the. Uh uh-huh. um, the different radio guy, the radio personalities, and, you know, what I found was intriguing when I took a self-reflection, it was, they were spinning a message of, it's not your fault, you don't have to do anything about it. It has nothing to to do with you. You're not the
1: cause. Interesting. Oh, I I, thank you. I I had never really thought of it that way. Uh, Yeah, and and the othering of it, kind of, like, it's somebody else's fault. Yeah, I appreciate that.
9: Yeah, I just thought
7: it was interesting. I did a little self-reflection. I'm like, oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I realize that those are the ty- – they don't want you necessarily to get involved. And when you start getting involved, you're like, well, now I'm a part of this. Now I have to do something about it. And your opinions start changing over time. And you start thinking about solutions, whereas they're not offering solutions. They're just – it's not
1: your fault. Oh, uh, this is my neighbor, Bob, isn't it? I love hearing from you, Bob. Neighbor, Bob. <laughs> I love having conversations with you uh, i I'll always remember the day that we met on the playground and uh and I appreciate that and and look, you know I get fired up and and I get hooked on a on a on an issue and uh and I try to work my way through it but uh you have always struck me it, it, it you never struck me as somebody who i couldn't have a conversation with so um thank you so much for calling bob and uh and beyond that, thank you for being such a great neighbor and a great friend. No problem. Thank you, Patty, for taking my call. Of course. Have a great evening, Bob. And I also want to thank our listener who uh, wanted to correct uh, or at least chime in about the uh, papers and how long ago uh, President Bi- uh, President Biden left office or when the papers, But you know, we were talking about, was it a decade ago? Was it double digits with a couple of callers? Uh, but he left office, you know, almost eight years ago, whatever it is. Uh, as long as we figure it out, it is not the same things. Uh, but anyway, I've got to run. i got to turn the station over. Lady B, have a great night. Thank you, everybody, for calling in and enjoying the conversation tonight. Be well, be happy, be healthy. And uh, Mike Crew's up next with it at Devil's Advocates.